Hey everybody, welcome to the official Screenwriting Podcast. I'm Adam Levenberg. This week I'll be talking about two fabulous docudramas, Captain Phillips and the Dallas Buyers Club. A reminder that the starter screenplay in my book is available on Amazon for under 12 bucks. If you've read the Kindle version, there's a lot of great stuff in the print version that's not in the Kindle version. Uh, so, you know, I highly recommend you buy it, and I highly recommend that you not only get it, but that you circle things, that you underline things, that you read it with a highlighter. Please, if you're trying to learn from a book, have a pen in your hand. You know, um, there, there's a process that goes on when you learn, and even just by highlighting, you're going to be able to then go back and look at, well, what did I highlight in this book? Uh, that's personally what I do whenever I'm looking at a new screenwriting book. I highlight and underline and make notes in the margins, and when I'm done reading, I go back and I look at what I highlighted, what I circled. Uh, it makes the process of educating yourself 50 times more effective. Also, you can go to the services page on officialscreenwriting.com, hire me to read your script. Not only do I put notes on the PDF for my thoughts as I'm reading it, um, and I do a set of notes, and w once I'm done reading, and we talk on the phone for anywhere from two to three hours after I've read your script, after you've read my notes and my reaction, then we talk. And I think that's where the most education takes place, because you come to the table with so many intentions writing, and if the script isn't effective at reaching those intentions, then we can talk about them. You can talk about what you were trying to do, why you made certain decisions, and I can help then guide you through, well, this is a way to do that more effectively. And I think that's a level of interaction and of improvement that just doesn't occur if you hire somebody to read your script and they send you, email you some notes and you never talk to them. Um, so, you know, again, that's available on the services page at officialscreenwriting.com. Now, a friend of mine said to me, uh, when I'm writing a scene, I'm really focused on how do I get these two characters together? He was referring to characters meeting their love interests. And... Uh, to me, it was the completely wrong way of looking at it. And I said, no wonder it's such a problem for you. You're looking at it all wrong. Um, the thing that I try to get across in the starter screenplay is that instead of looking at characters like pieces on a chessboard and figuring out how you're moving them around, you need to sort of put us into the perspective looking through the eyes of your hero. And then in given scenes, you give them a goal. So if a character walks into a bar and meets a woman um, or sees a woman, and it's his then goal to meet her, to interact with her, to win her over in some way. And then you want to provide that character. So now we have a goal. We have a character. We have a goal. We have uh, a potential love interest. And then you provide obstacles. What's the worst thing that can happen when he's interacting with her. There's completely different things that can occur. Um, I saw in one uh, thing that I'm trying to remember where a character goes to the bathroom uh, during a date and leaves his phone on the table and then starts getting some really filthy texts. Um, and the person who he's on a date with sees and is just completely horrified by, you know, these texts that have come in on the, on the guy's phone. Uh, date over. That's that's an obstacle. Um, in an incredibly broad comedy, you know, you want to say, what's the worst thing that could happen? Uh, what What is going to give our character the most to overcome? I suggested an incredibly broad comedy. The character might meet the girl and then shit his pants. Um, th that, to me, is the most extreme thing. Now, you might say, wow, that's really extreme. It is. So you draw it back a little bit. You say, okay, well, 
that's the worst, but we're not writing that kind of movie. So how do we, you know, sort of bring it back a little bit uh, to something that's a little bit more realistic for the tone that we're trying to set in this screenplay? But now you're interacting with the material in a much different way. You're interacting through perspective. You're interacting through... uh, you know, goals and obstacles, and that's how you brainstorm more effectively because you're you're left with a very specific subset of ideas that then you can brainstorm and say, well, we could do this, we could do that, we could do the other thing. And then you have a scene that's dynamic as opposed to looking at it from the outside. Uh, also, a quick rule of seduction in movies, you need three scenes before your characters can get into bed if you want the hero or you want the audience to respect the love interest. That's just kind of a rule of cinema. And if you say, hey, that's an antiquated rule, play with it. Toy with it. I remember on Six Feet Under, there was a great sequence where the uh, where two characters went out on a date, and it, the date had several different stops on the tour. Like it, it they went from uh, a gas station to somewhere else, and they were able to sleep together right after because they acknowledged, "Hey, we've been on three dates in one, so that counts." And right there, it's the writers recognizing a rule of thumb in cinema. Three, da- three dates before, so that we can respect the characters. Um, and they undermined it. So to me, that's an even higher form of, of playing with a rule. Uh, and you always want to be doing that. I, I think it's totally appropriate for somebody to say, that rule's incredibly sexist. It's really, you know, the, the rule itself is created sort of to allow us to respect women. I mean, that's, you know, sort of a old school judgment thing. Well, maybe 2013, maybe society and morality works a little bit differently. Um, hopefully it does, but you know, it's your job to then get inside of that and play with it a lot more. Um, and to do something that's different that we haven't seen before. So I'll I'll talk about Captain Phillips really quickly. Um, I I really enjoyed this movie. I didn't want to go. It's not my kind of movie and it's not my kind of movie because I could tell that it would be an incredibly harrowing docudrama and it wouldn't be fun. I just knew that I wasn't going to have fun at this movie, and I didn't. But it's great in its own way. Um, And the, you know, it starts off with Captain Phillips packing for his trip. Uh, He's a cargo ship captain who sails around Africa and, you know, wherever in the world he needs to move cargo. Um, But it starts him off at home, and we have, like, one scene, which is his wife driving him to the airport. And it sets up the culture that they live in. This is where the theme is stated, how hard things are in this world. And how he, you know, he says something to the effect of, when I was a young person starting out, all you had to do was keep your head down, do your work, and you were promoted. Our kids, I'm really worried about them because I know the world is so much tougher today. And that sort of the uh, plays with the theme. Uh, I didn't sort of nail the theme on this because I wasn't taking notes as I was reading. And I saw it a couple weeks ago. Um, But what ends up happening is we then cut to the Somali village where we meet our villain. And he's not really a villain. He's somebody who's an antagonist because he's not a bad person. The film sets up that he's forced to do this. There are warlords. They force these people to go out and take ships hostage 
and to then give all the money to the warlords in order to not massacre their villages. So we find out where the villain is coming from. He's an antagonist, and uh, his name is Muse, and we see how desperate people in these villages are for work, that they just basically sit around until somebody says, hey, we're putting together a pirating group. Does anybody want to come? And you see everybody in the village has their hand raised because they need to feed their families. They're all skeletal. They're, they're starving to death. Um, and we get a sense of where those characters are coming from so that they don't just play as generic villains. Uh, and there's a reason for that, which is that we... We spend a lot of time with Captain Phillips and these characters in the second half of the movie stuck together on a tiny little boat. Uh, and it's important that we get to know them at least a little bit so that it's not just a generic villain and we can sort of appreciate their humanity and how stuck they are. Because, you know, what what ends up happening... I won't get too much into it, but the characters really don't have a choice. They don't have a choice to come back to Somalia without Captain Phillips. They might as well take their chances and potentially die. Um, now, when we got onto the boat, here's one of my things. I always believe in taking the tour. If you're starting with a new location, you always want to, you know, especially things like a college campus or a building where there's a lab where most of the action is set, you want to give us the tour. Show us the feature. Show us the scenes and the features of the place that will later come into... Uh, become part of the the scenes that we see and the action sequences that we see. You know, like um, if there's going to be a fight scene in a pool, well, you want to sort of establish that there's a pool beforehand. Um, and the funny thing was, I thought that they sort of shortchanged us in Captain Phillips with the tour of the ship. I didn't realize that half of the movie was going to take place once all, Captain Phillips and the kidnappers were off of the ship. So it sort of proved my point, though, which is that they did not do enough to let us know about all the features of the ship because they actually didn't have to because we weren't spending the entire movie there, which is kind of what I assumed the movie was going to be. Um, and we also have a catalyst that's very clear. Captain Phillips gets an email from the Coast Guard, uh, or I think it's from the Coast Guard. It might have been from the company that he works for, saying, hey, there's pirates in the area. There are attacks. You need to look out uh, for this. And Captain Phillips then, you know, organizes a uh, drill, which, of course, then in the midst of the drill, they're, they're actually uh, approached by these pirates. Let me jump real quickly into Dallas Buyers Club, which I enjoyed a lot more because it's very, very funny. Um, I'll read the, the Rotten Tomatoes uh, paragraph about the plot. Matthew McConaughey stars in the Dallas Buyers Club as real-life Texan cowboy Ron Woodruff, whose freewheeling life was overturned in 1985 when he was diagnosed as an as HIV positive and given 30 days to live. These were the early days of the AIDS epidemic and the U.S. was divided over how to combat the virus. Ron, now shunned and ostracized by his old friends and bereft of government-approved effective medicines, took matters into his own hands, tracking down alternative treatments from all over the world by means both legal and illegal. By bypassing the establishment, the entrepreneurial Woodruff joined forces with an unlikely band of renegades and outcasts who he once would have shunned and established a hugely successful buyer's club. Their shared struggle for dignity and acceptance is a uniquely American story of the transformative power of resilience. So um, I have a rule, which is the Schindler's List rule. And that rule is that you're, if you're writing a docudrama, your movie should be as funny as Schindler's List. I think that's true of any drama, actually. Um, 
Schindler's List has a lot of laugh lines. I'm, I, I, I struggle to go. I, I really should go back and watch the film again uh, to see how many laughs there are in it. But there's a lot, uh, and I can't just I can't motivate to go see Schindler's List again. It's a really tough film. If you've never seen it, though, you should. Uh, you, you're missing out because it's one of the greatest films ever made. All right. Um, so in Dallas Buyers Club, uh, I'm, I'm just going to talk about the first couple of minutes. So no spoilers here. Um, but we, the question is, how do we meet the character? How do we meet Ron Woodruff? They introduce him having sex in a pen where we're watching a bullfight. So it's sort of one of those little pens where they would keep cattle, but it's empty. Um, while oh, I'm sorry, it's not a bullfight. It's a bull riding uh, event. Uh, it's a rodeo. And we see a rider fall to the ground and, you know, they have to run. The doctors have to run out in the background as this guy, Ron, is having sex with two different women while they're doing coke. So they're snorting coke, having sex, bull, bull riding going on on the outside, and it equates sex and death with just imagery. And it also shows us that this character lives on the edge. But we're not done showing how this character lives on the edge because when he finds out that, his fr- that whoever he had bet on uh, failed and that he's going to owe some money to some unsavory people, we just see him look. He finds out that his guy lost, and he goes, oh, shit, and he starts running. And there's dudes who are chasing after him. And he's hopping fences. He's trying to avoid a mob that is chasing after him. Um, And he comes across a cop, played by the very funny Steve Zahn, and says, hey, man, you got to arrest me. Please arrest me. And the cop, who's a friend of his, who's a character throughout the movie, so we're establishing a supporting character here. The cop says, fuck you, like, go, and he says something to the effect of, like, fight your own battles. Because he knows what the deal is. Uh, There's people, you know, 50 yards away. And I think that's important, because it's not like he's running up to the cop and saying, you got to arrest me because these guys are chasing me and I need protection. He's, the people are you know, half a football field away from him, they're pretty close. They're closing in on him. We see these people coming towards us. And the cop says, no, I'm not going to bail you out of this. I, you know, and clearly there's a history there. Clearly they're friends. And what happens is, what does Ron do? What does Ron do? How does he get this cop to arrest him? He punches him. So in the first few minutes of the movie, we have him having sex with two women while he's snorting coke. We have him running from a group of people uh, who probably are going to kill him or at least beat the shit out of him. And then we have him punching a cop who's also being established as a character. And then the cop, of course, uh, I think punches him back and then puts handcuffs on him, puts him in the squad car. And our hero is saved from the mob. Uh, What a great character introduction. It really, you know, sets up that this guy's a badass cowboy. And, uh, of course, very soon he lands in the hospital. The catalyst is where the doctors come in and give him 30 days to live and tell him that he's been infected with HIV. Um, But when this is happening, when when Ron wakes up in the hospital after he passes out... um, he and he he actually what happens is he's electrocuted. He's an electrician and he's on a job and uh, he's electrocuted. Wakes up in the hospital and he starts looking through the drawers uh, that are in the hospital room. I guess looking for free drugs, uh, but he finds candy and he starts stuffing it in his pockets. And that's texture right there. That is the that is the the writers giving us. Um, 
giving us a sense of who this guy is, that he'll take whatever he can. And he was looking for drugs. They don't have it. He doesn't say out loud, I'm looking for drugs, but that's probably what he was looking for. But he finds candy and he's happy to take it. And he's stuffing his pockets with candy. How do we create conflict? Well, the doctors walk in. They catch him. And of course, it's not real conflict. The doctors say, oh, I see you found our stash. But it's a little bit embarrassing, and uh, it, it sort of uh, – then, of course, the conversation moves to much more uh, difficult uh, topics than the fact that he was caught stealing candy. But um, after Ron is diagnosed uh, – and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about – we have what I call a reversal, which is where you think that the setting is one thing, and then we turn it upside down, and it means something else. Now, in my book, I talk about in The Pacifier when this happens, when uh, Vin Diesel's character is suspicious about one of the teenage kids is up to. He, op- he breaks into the kid's locker and finds a Nazi uniform. And, of course, the payoff is that the kid is not a young neo-Nazi. He is sneaking around because he's starring in a high school version of The Sound of Music playing Rolf. Um, In Dallas Buyers Club, we have a moment that is where uh, it's sort of the same idea. Uh, It's taking that idea of reversal, except we start off in one location that we believe that we're in, and then we pull back to reveal that it's something else. Uh, In this case, we see him praying. His hands are are sort of bound together as if in prayer. We see the lights in the background, the, the, what looks like almost like stained glass windows. Well, it turns out it's not. He's not in a church. He's not praying to God. He is in a strip club because that's who this character is. Uh, and it, it sets up the expectation that he's in church, pull back to reveal that there's naked women dancing. Um, and I, I think that this is something we can learn a lot from because you always want to do that. You always want to pull the rug out from under the audience. And the other thing is that, you know, you're, you know that you're not supposed to write camera moves, but pull back to reveal is a tool that you can use. You don't want to do it too often, but you can write pull back to reveal that we are actually in a strip club, dancers on poles, people throwing back drinks, whatever. Um, so, you know, uh, you can you can do that in order to effectively, you know, pull the rug out from under your audience. That's all I have for today. Um, I haven't seen Thor yet, so I haven't seen Thor The Dark World. I may have a show about Thor next week. Um, and I read a really great article which talks about how Thor is essentially... Crocodile Dundee, and how all the humor in Thor is Crocodile Dundee humor. Um, And that's something that I I was really interested by and gives me something to take a look at as I watch Thor this week, hopefully, so that I can go see the sequel. Uh, That's all I have for you this week. I'm Adam Levenberg, and check back next week to see if I have a new show.